Everyone considered him the coward of the county. Never stood one single time to prove the county wrong. His mama called him Borag Thong Earthlets. My name is Conrad alongside my friend Fox, and this is the 46th episode of Space Spinner 2000, a podcast where two Americans try to make sense of the UK's own galaxy's greatest comic, 2000 AD, one month of progs at a time. This episode, we're covering 2000 AD and Tornado for February 1980, progs 150 through 153. This week, we'll get to the end of Stainless Steel Rat and Time Quake and Judge Death, and we'll bring in Robo Hunter and the Fiends of the Eastern Front, and perhaps taste the blood of Satanus. It is kind of a a spooky episode, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Like, if you think about it, I don't know. Starting, of course, with 301 Judge Dredd. Hey, uh, Conrad, how do you take care of a spoopy ghost? I mean, well, if bullets won't work, Fox, the answer is, of course, incendiary rounds. (laughs) (laughs) What happens if he burns all up and everyone's like, well, he's dead, but then he's not? Well, I mean, if it's like in the case with Judge with Judge Death and um, the start of our of our Judge Dread coverage, and Judge Death gets burned up from incendiary charges and reforms as like a cloud that says that uh, everyone will be judged, then I guess you just kind of sh- shrug your shoulders and move on because that's all you can do. <laughs> as yeah, like, his, well. yeah, as his ghostly form sort of flies away, you know. Yeah. He's a spooky ghost. Guess we're going to have to call in, like, maybe a hot psychic. Uh, but first, l- let me do the credits, because I just want to oh, say that right. script robots for this month is John Wagner, as John Howard, and Pat Mills. The art robots are Brian Ballin and Ron Smith, and the lettering robots Tom Frame. But yes! <laughs> <laughs> my favorite person! I Truly my favorite. Yeah, so... Yeah, Judge Death is so Judge Death's body is brought down to the morgue to get some regular science done on it. But we got to do some hoodoo mystical science on it too. So, buddy, it's time to call in the top operator of the Justice Department's side division, Judge Cassandra Anderson, and the crowd goes wild. Woo! <laughs> Dude, she's awesome. I like her business, and I like the way that she handles herself. Yeah, she's really like the opposite of Dread. Like, she never wears her helmet. She's really, like, flip and non-serious. Like, she just, you know, she shows up and, like, starts trying to banter with Dread, and Dread's like, no way. Yeah. She's um. <laughs> like, come on. I, what I love is uh, is uh, she she's just like, uh, you know, basically, I ah, don't worry about Dread. I can already read what's going on can't keep your guilty secrets from a telepath he's like i don't have no guilty secrets exactly yeah <laughs> so you know this is sort of yeah this is of, of course classic first appearance uh judge anderson she's super heavily influenced by debbie harry of sort of 7980 oh um, wow yeah like you know it, they've ex- like like they've explicitly said so in like interviews and stuff like that you can really see if you, if if you put the two of them side by side and stuff. So yeah, she like yeah she she tries to start witty banter with Dread. Dread's not Dread is not having it. She scans the skull of Judge Death and makes a connection. She speaks with Dread's voice, or she speaks with Death's voice and sort of explains 
some judge death backstory. Like he comes from a world where the judges determine that all crime is committed by the living and thus life itself must be made illegal. And now he's come to bring that justice to our world as well. There's nothing more attractive than a woman speaking with like a weird Skeksis voice. <laughs> Anyhow, this is where we start getting, this is where we get not quite together, but the classic judge death line of uh, the crime is life, the sentence is death. So, so with that with that established, uh, Judge Anderson heads out. See you later, adjudicator. And <laughs> gets ready for bed back at her um, at her judge apartment. Which, hey, great. Yep. Temper and <laughs> But as she does, the ghostly form of Judge Death arrives, takes control of her mentally, flies through her window, and possesses her body. Now they're partners in death. What a jerk. Yeah. So we cut to uh, Judge Anderson being controlled by Judge Death. She goes to the Mega City One morgue and retrieves his body. Um, and she takes oh, out all the guards the way, along the way. Is- this is my favorite face that she makes. It's just like the, uh, like yeah, she's, gritting teeth. <laughs> she's very grossed out by both what she has to do and by the fact that she's been taken control of by a, uh, by a rampaging death monster from beyond the stars, basically. Exactly. <laughs> um, some, some more guys try to stop her and she kicks them and she kicks one of them out, out the window. Dude, with high heels on, just Mm -hmm. like, boom, get out of my face. Hey, she doesn't care, buddy. Dredd's sort of on the chase, and Anderson is um, trying desperately to resist death. Like, they're in an ambulance, and she, like, crashes it, so they have to start walking. Um, at, hardcore. Yeah, as they walk, she, like, broadcasts her location to Psy Division and stuff. Like, mm-hmm. despite the best efforts of Judge of Judge Death to stop her, she sort of broadcasts psychically both her location and one word, boing. I love I love the psychic lady. She's just touching her face like, ooh, I'm getting psychic feelings. <laughs> I mean, it definitely like side division definitely sort of crosses the crosses like walks the line of silliness sometimes just because they do sometimes use it as an opportunity to make jokes about sort of people with psychic powers who who claim to have psychic powers possibly in real life and stuff absolutely um but Although i think this does start to turn real dark after this point yeah but i i i think it's basically well done um but so yeah uh they figure out that uh, Anderson is leading them to a, a low-rise Conapt building. There, Anderson is treating Death's body with these dead fluids that will re- revitalize him, I guess. So what's a dead fluid? I have no idea. In the con- Like, right now, it's no idea. It's just whatever. Just missed, you know, some junk that will bring him back to life. It doesn't matter. Um <laughs> Dread has the room sealed, like sealed airtight, and then barges in, blowing up Death's body with high ex with with high explosives rounds. Um, so what happens is that he gets like a full on double fist to the face. Yeah, I don't well, even know what you call that. Anders, yeah, J- Judge Death sort of fully possesses Anderson again, and she gives him what I call the uh, the uh, Will- the uh, William Shatner death blow or a hammer blow. <laughs> Because yes. the like li- like uh, li- like link your fingers together into sort of one big fist and then smash the guy across the face with that is a total like William Shatner and Star Trek move all the time all day. That's his that's his finisher, you know. 
Yeah, but dude. with death inside Anderson, Dread brings out the uh, spray can of Boeing that he's brought with and her, with with him, and fully encases Anderson with it. It's crazy. Like they, they just encases her in an impenetrable casing of Boeing. She sort of falls unconscious, and both the side judge and the evil death judge are trapped in space age plastic forever. It's fucked up. And yeah. then they put her in what's called the Hall of Heroes, which I'm guessing is just a bunch of other weirdly encased people. And or, she gets or just, this cool yeah. crest that just says just Supreme Sacrifice. And I'm like, but I but I like her so much. Why is she going to be in plastic? <laughs> yeah, I think, well, I, I assume the Hall of Heroes is just like like sort of the Hall of Fame of judges. Like once you die, you you know, if you die particularly heroically, you get like in, in, enshrined there. It's, it's probably the same place where that memorial for Judge Fargo is that the guys used to oh, infiltrate yeah. the Hall of Justice during Judge Callan stuff. I yeah, wanna, yeah. I want to also mention that besides Supreme Sacrifice, Judges Ander- Judge Anderson's <laughs> crypt also says, like, Judge Anderson, a monster dwells within her. <laughs> this is so awesome. I, I don't know if I'd go near a case that said that. It's true. So anyhow, they're trapped in there forever, or at least until August of 1981. <laughs> <laughs> I'm guessing she was a popular choice. I mean, man, like, I mean... It's a it's it's an interesting thing that that they didn't have Anderson in um, the Stallone movie um, just because yeah they, maybe because they didn't want to have um, they didn't want to deal with psychic stuff in in that one um, you know instead they have Judge Hershey who will meet like maybe not next month but in the next couple months right. they're sort of the big two female judges of this sort of early period that that both get introduced in 1980. Um, but like it's super telling that you know there that Judge Anderson was in the 2012 movie. You know, yeah. Like this is sort of a this this is a long term character who we're meeting here, and we're gonna have you know to one extent or another Judge Anderson is gonna be a a continued force throughout the uh, rest of Judge Dredd. You know, her hair is gonna uh, change as time goes by, but the the basis of her character of this sort of like um you know telling jokes, kind of being a foil for Dredd and stuff like that is gonna really remain strong well and i i was gonna say like uh god what is her name uh diane lane like she's she's all right but i like olivia thurlby i think that's right yeah like one of the it's something like i like her a lot more as as like an actress Mm. like diane lane is fucking boring ah um, I'm sorry, man. I got opinions. <laughs> That's fine. I would never gainsay anyone's opinion about that sort of movie casting stuff. I, I never know. Mm. <laughs> let's go to uh, the, our next uh, big story. Pat, Pat Mills is back. And with it, um, a, a, another one of his specialties, which is stories that connect different parts of the 2080 universe together. Um, this time, we're once again visiting, revisiting uh, Satanus who, of course, is the deadly T-Rex from the Cursed Earth, son of old One-Eye, father of uh, Golgotha from the ABC Warriors. So awesome. Yeah. The legacy continues. <laughs> so <laughs> some researchers in Mega City One have found, like, a big store of um, of Satanus's like, plasma, basically, and they talk about, like, oh, Which... we could use this to clone new T-Rexes, but that's been banned by the judges. <laughs> so I guess we'll just hold on to it for nondescript purposes hey you never know um <laughs> <laughs> when a t-rex 
fucking plasma might be like necessary. I'd rather have it than need it, buddy. <laughs> That's fair. But what happens if some like well, so, dumbass yeah. guy? <laughs> yeah. So then, a researcher, quote unquote, Cyril J. Ratfinkel, sort of wonders Which? idly what what someone would, what would happen if someone drank the blood and basically just gets like knocked on the back of the head and told to go back to making copies because that's dumb. <laughs> Yeah, it is stupid. Like, okay, they would drink blood and it would probably not be great. How's yeah. that? But, like, man, if you drink, like, 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 if, if you eat a rare steak and you eat drink cow blood, you don't turn into a cow. But whatever. <laughs> yeah, but cow isn't, like, a billion jajillion years old fucking thing, you know? Totally, yeah. I, I'm not trying to gainsay that the... the the, the, the plot of this story far be far from it all i uh, all i'm saying is that what this story taught me is never trust a scientist they're gonna no. fucking drill a hole in your floor and draw blood in your drink yeah that's what cyril does man he takes he steals a bunch of the, of the dinoplasma he takes it home he drills a hole in his floor and then does that sort of str- <laughs> like thing where you drop a string and then you drop the liquid on the string thing so you get a more accurate like flow of drops, and he basically doses his downstairs neighbor's wine with, um, as they're like, as as he and his like fiance are celebrating some deal, he basically doses it with Satanas blood. Well, it's like so. Not only is this their wedding anniversary, right. but they're like the super nicest people in the world. They're like, we've got great jobs. We love the city. The judges are great. Like, Judge Jed protects us. They're like model citizens to the nth degree. And he's just like, oh, I'm yeah. just going to like put this in your drink now. Yeah, so now this guy's, so now the downstairs neighbor, uh, Rex, appropriately enough. <laughs> God is getting is he's getting dosed with satanus blood. He starts to grow like scales and his teeth sharpen a little bit. Uh, Cyril Ratfinkel bumps into him on the elevator and offers to help him with his symptoms by giving him medicine. But that medicine is just more satanus <sighs> blood. Um, soon Rex is getting aggressive, like eating raw meat and building a big nest out of furniture in the apartment. And it's really awkward. Possibly eating the alien pets of neighbors. Um, <laughs> Definitely he, eating the alien pets of neighbors. And shoving his wife outside and being like, "Get the fudge out of here." Yeah, she. Yeah, he. 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 He makes her leave. She's nervous and she calls Judge Dread to co- to come check on Rex. But Dread's a little busy right now, sort of taking on a uh, lunatic who's taking hostages and stuff like that. Can you just directly call a judge? Um, I think he she called the switchboard and asked and said that she had a problem, but she'd only speak to Judge Dredd about it. Gotcha. Which, like, I guess that's how it could work, but it doesn't seem like a like it doesn't seem like, seem, seem seem like a good way to run a justice department, if you ask me. I guess. No, nah, man. I feel like you just get the judge you're gonna get because, yeah. and that's if you get one. Mm-hmm. So after Judge Dredd takes out the punk, um, holding people hostage. Dred just uh, thinks about investigating, but realizes that uh, the wife, Lindsay, uh, Lindsay never left her address, so he doesn't know where to go. Meanwhile, Lindsay goes to confront Rex, who is now transformed into a full-on, like, T-Rex man. Homo Tyrannosaurus. Yeah. So, Rex kills Lindsay and drags her body into his nest. Ratfinkel looks on with glee through the hole in his floor and, like, super stoked. He calls the new species Homo Tyrannosaurus. He's a weird fucking perv, that dude. Yeah, and finally pays for it because Rex's next victim is Finkel, is Rat Finkel himself. 
Yeah, man. Fuck that guy. Yeah, totally eaten. Whatever. Dredd's finally here on the case. He's pissed that they couldn't have stopped the death of Lindsay because she didn't leave her address. And that's why <laughs> 911 uh, tracks your location when you make a call. So be careful about hanging up on 911 if you call it accidentally. That's well, my so me- message to you. He's like, he's like another innocent citizen dead all because of stupidity. And like another judge is like, oh, you know, we couldn't have done anything about it. Don't be so hard on yourself. And he's like, she could have left her address. Yeah, it's She's a, the stupid one, basically. It's like, an interesting, yeah, it's an interesting character moment from Dredd here, for sure. It's amazing. Sorry, so Dredd's on the hunt for Rex, and Rex is on the run. He's changed back to human, because I guess he's like a were-T-Rex, basically. Um, but Dredd sort of follows Rex to his office and catches him there, coming face-to-face with the beast. It seems that Rex has tried to hang himself, but when he did, he went full <laughs> T-Rex instead. So it's Monsterverse Judge, as Dredd's lawgiver is knocked away and Rex's tail wraps around his neck, choking him. Will. Also, just want to say, mm-hmm. this is before Aliens, right? No, this is after Alien. Alien. Th- this is after Alien. Oh, shit. So, yeah, there you go. This yeah, is very I'm, Alien to me. Yeah, that, definitely. Yeah, it's definitely sort of a sci-fi horror kind of feel to it. Um, but so, next time, will Dread make a meal for the monster? Don't miss next Prague. <laughs> or next episode, I, I suppose. I mean, I'm not going to jump to any conclusions here, but I think the answer is no. I mean, I, I guess I don't know, but probably not. Ah, uh, spoil sport, dude. <laughs> Speaking of apparent ends, or I should say, of things looking bad, but probably still continuing. Thrill to the VCs. <laughs> Script robot for the VCs is Gary Finley Day. Art robot is Cam Kennedy. Lettering robot is Tom Frame. So, the VCs pull into Phobos Harbor the biggest star trooper base in the system in orbit around Mars. Apparently, all the star trooper ships have been pu- have been pulled in, or a bunch of them have, as um, there's tons of troops aboard, and the crew kind of filters out to their various cliques around uh, the service. So, like, Dwarf Star goes to other people scarred from spaceflight incidents. Loon goes to other crazy people. Even Jupe hangs out with the other sergeants and stuff. Um, it's a little weird that all these people, all of them got called to this very specific place it's true well they get um there the um base commander sort of gathers them up or the guys the base controller and says they're, they're going to be addressed by a member of the diplomatic workforce or the dw or as they call him a uh, dishwasher <laughs> the dishwasher explains that uh They've been working to bring the war with the geeks to a peaceful conclusion. And as a show of good faith, I guess, the bulk of the fleet has been called in with only a skeleton force now patrolling the, the solar system. Mm. Yeah, this doesn't go over well, as you can imagine. Uh, Lo- one of Loon's crazy buddies gets rowdy and Smith has to clobber him with a chair before the dishwasher can shoot him with the gun he's about to pull. Um, it appears that, like... The dishwasher and Smith are the only two Earthmen there, and Smith has lost a lot of the respect he's been developing with his crew by sort of seemingly saving um, the uh, Earthman dishwasher. He does not do himself favors by being a total bro. It's true. But, I mean, I guess he was doing it so that the guy didn't get shot, but, you know, no one else yeah. saw the gun, it seems like, or something like that. Anyhow, everyone's worried about this turn of events, but there's nothing they can do. 
Jupe sends the rest of the team on leave down to Mars, which is Henshow's homeworld, to get some R&R. Hey, man, let's go check out that giant dome built inside of an old volcano. I think it's pretty cool. The, uh, the VCs landed at, at New Peking City, which is the biggest city on Mars. And yeah, like Fox said, it's basically the whole thing is built in the crater of Olympus Mons, like the biggest mountain on Mars with the dome sort of covering the entire crater of this inactive volcano. Um, so it's neat, man. This is where uh, Henshow is from, and so he helps like smooth things over when the guards force all the VCs to give up their weapons, and then helps them find uh, an illegal bar because drinking is technically illegal there. <laughs> well, what's crazy is like the guards don't even like Henshow because he decided to join up for this thing. They're like, you're not fucking cool because it's true. you decided to help these people, and it's like, bro, yeah, but, there's but then Mars. What yeah, the there's, fuck? You're like, there's a, it doesn't there, make sense. There's a real shocking amount of anti-VC sentiment. I mean, despite the fact that, like, you know, the geeks are really there and really like killing people. Like, it's not like um, something where people aren't in mortal danger. You know. And and in this specific episode, a shocking amount of anti-Chinese shit. It's true. I mean, God. It got a little intense, man. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm honestly, I like wrote my notes. Like, there's a, yeah, there's a lot here. I'm kind of ignoring it a little bit just because I think it, it does yeah. kind of, it, it, it does kind of mess things up when you were supposed to be rooting for these guys and they're like tossing slurs around and stuff like that. But I'm, I'm, I'm choosing to take that as part of the time when it was written and stuff like that. Um, but. Anyhow, instead of getting drunk, Smith goes to the library to see if they have any information about geeks, but learns very little. Out the window, he sees a bunch of locals rolling up to the VCs to start a rumble, and Smith runs down to help. They're way outnumbered, um, but you know the VCs do have combat training, and they are outnumbered at least until a bunch of their fellow star troopers sort of hear the commotion and run over to help. It turns into a gigantic brawl. Until suddenly, everybody looks up to see blasts coming from Phobos Harbor. It's the geeks! Oh, snap! That yeah. thing that was kind of going to happen because, yeah. Yeah. Oh, look, we, we stopped patrolling for them, and now they're all here. Um, yeah. But Weird. They've launched a surprise attack on Mars, and now they're flying in to attack New Peking City. The Sky Dome is breached. We're in trouble. Oh, God, it, the vacuum of frickin' space is sucking people out and lighting them on fire. Yeah, man. So, yeah, the city dome is, is uh, breached. So, yeah, if you aren't sucked out of the roof through the vacuum, then you get cooked alive by the unfiltered ultraviolet rays of the sun. It's fucking horrible. Like, innocent people, buildings, massive farm systems, they have, like, rice patties and stuff, are all just cooked alive. They go up in smoke. Luckily, Henshow knows his way around. The VCs are able to get to safety. They put on EV suits and head out into the Martian desert. They up, come to some defense turrets and help man them to take down some geek ships. But they've, you know, they checked all their weapons earlier, so they don't have anything to fight like close in with the geeks. They end up having to like smash their helmets with rocks to take them out and Which stuff. Is kind of awesome because then they burn up from ultraviolet rays yeah well i mean you know they fuck get, you guys yeah we have similar uh outside you know space requirements or something like that but out in the distance new peking city explodes in a massive gout of flame like like olympus mons is is erupting one last time and the vcs are trapped on the surface of mars surrounded by geeks 
So is it erupting because of what happened? I don't, or is it I don't think it's because erupting. Because it was going to happen. No, I think it was just the city blew up and it looks like an eruption. Like it's like a fitting ah. end. Yeah. So the VCs are on the run on Mars. They're seemingly the only survivors on the planet. They hide out in a canyon, but it's only a matter of time before geek patrols find them until suddenly a human shuttlecraft appears. It's Choop! Oh, snap, Choop! Yeah. You're so awesome when yeah. you think of these things. He's planning ahead, buddy. The squad piles aboard and rejoins the ship. The VCs are back in action, but um, but no one else is because Mars is just a mass of burning cities, floating wrecks and bodies, and like Cam Kennedy does a great job like rendering oh, this destruction of the whole thing. You know, Mar- it's you just, pretty horrific. Yeah, you just look at it, and you just know that like Mars is completely lost. But the VCs yeah. aren't. Aren't they? Uh, have to fight fight the geeks at their next target, but no one knows what it is. Um, everybody basically wants to go to their own home planet to defend it from geek attack, but Jupe decides to hold back and wait for reports. They'll clean up any mess that presents itself, vacuum cleaner style. Everyone's oh, on edge. Yeah. Ed- Everyone's on edge about this, of course, especially our guy Smith. Next episode, the dark side of the moon. Dude, Jupe is like strongly my favorite character out of this so far. He's super uh, capable. Like, you know, he sent his guys down to R&R, but was, like, stayed up there on Phobos base, probably with the engine running, like, like, like tipping over, being like, well, well <laughs> we're leaving he the... He mentioned that, that they hit it, he hit it on a different moon, like, his, he yeah. was like, hmm. Yeah, like, I, I'm pretty sure that now that we've left the geeks alone, they'll attack. So let's sort of, you know, let the guys have a little bit to blow off steam and then get ready to uh, fight our way out, you know? Yeah, exactly. Well, and, like, and save their lives. You don't have to go scrambling and shit. Exactly. Yeah, it's so. cool. But, hey, speaking of uh, military forces scrambling for their lives, Fox. Oh, God. Thrill 3, the stainless steel rat. Hey, watch out. Somehow, by looking at a knife, you know that there's nerve poison! You can tell. Uh, script robot for Stainless Steel Rat is Kelvin Gosnell. Art robot is Carlos Escara. Lettering robot's Jack Potter. So, uh, Slippery Jim Degrees is fighting this assassin that was threatening Angelina. He kicks him off the side of the tower. They're two and a half kilometers up, so he's going to be falling for a while. Um, mm-hmm. He then enters her room to tell her what's up. She assumes the killer was probably from the Count, like the leader of the revolution that they're both in. Trying to she steal. She comes out in sexy lingerie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I just. Yeah, like, she's just chilling. She's just chilling in her sexy lingerie, dude. Um, yeah, that's what people do, right? I mean, you know, based on her backstory, maybe. Um, but so there's, there's only one thing to do, and that's start the revolution right now. So after some more sexy clothes changing, Jim and Angelina head down to the mole tanks <laughs> as the attack planes and howitzers of the revolution roll out. Uh, Slippery Jim convinces Ange- Angelina not to kill the Count, and the mole tank fires its lasers and heads underground. It's pretty cool. It's got like these little legs Dude, that yes. let it like stand up and then shoot the ground at, like a forty-five degree angle and then jump into it and jump jump into the resulting hole and stuff. It's kind of neat. <laughs> um, and the legs are a little weird to me, but I really love the face lasers. Yeah, totally. So as they travel, Jim asks Angelina something. Uh, she, he kind of says there's something odd about the autopilot. She pulls a gun on him. She knows he's he's slippery Jim here to stop her, but instead she's going to stop him. 
Oh no, what's he yeah. gonna do? We jump in the next prog, we jump to at like the big color splash page where on the surface and it's all out stainless oh, steel so war. Awesome. It's pretty cool. Carlos Escara is a badass artist. That's all I've got to say. Is these tanks are crawling out of the ground, zapping other tanks with lasers. Like seventy nine and eighty have really been banner years for Carlos Escara in these sort of center page uh, 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 strips, both for like Strontium Dog and the work he did on ABC Warriors and this for sure. Mm-hmm. Um. So, Angel- underground, Angelina starts monologuing prior to killing Jim. We learn that she used to be super ugly and turned to crime to become to like get surgeries to become more beautiful. Um, and now she's um, out for revenge for the norms that treated her bad when she was ugly. So, you know, maybe she just like is in love with her new um, figure, so she could be wearing sexy lingerie for herself, just looking in the mirror or something. I could see it. Yeah, why not? <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> Before she can pull the trigger to kill Jim, we see a fleet of special corps ships attacking Angelina's army, taking it out. The war is over. This also oh. serves as, an, as a distraction to allow Jim to attack Angelina, and they scuffle until Inskip and some other special corps guys burst into the mole tank and trank on them both. I um, love the, the, the shot of him getting tranked. It's like this weird like uh like circular resonant thing going on mm-hmm. like it's just kind of yeah i also like very, yeah very 1970s totally when they burst in like the uh one of the goons is like hey which one do i shoot and Anscript's like shoot them both fire at random which i think is like a funny thing to say um yeah dude so Jim wakes up at Special Corps HQ. Uh, Inskip explains that they had a tracer in him the whole time. That actually, like, all that self-destruct stuff and things were just to let him think he was on his own so he could operate freely and stuff. So it's sort of a test, almost. Uh, Jim asks about Angelina, worried that she's been lobotomized. But she shows up, and she's actually, like, pretty nice. She's had the, or the evil removed. And while she's still got her full mental function, she has lost her memory. Uh, so she was lobotomized yeah but not like you know because like her partner on the space on the battleship thing like was lobotomized to like sort of a a like basically jack nicholson and one flew over the cuckoo's nest or something like that and she's just sort of lost her memory which is not that bad i think uh the two of them sort of instantly hit it off and sort of walk away as inskimp and another goon look on but a few weeks later inskip is pissed as angelina and jim have eloped stolen his personal ship (laughs) and are basically just setting off to do some awesome future crimes on their honeymoon (laughs) dude i the way that this ends feels like a movie like this whole thing could have been a movie and it's like i remember when we started this you said like you know you really enjoyed the books they obviously chose like the main mm-hmm. character from the specific actor like yeah james coburn this would have been a pretty fucking decent movie yeah like just a like a big um sort of like heist con man movie with a lot of special effects and stuff totally yeah, so yeah they sort back of, when people used to laugh into the sunset and the movie yeah. would be over and that's fine yeah or just like you know these these two got married and that's you know you sort of drive off in the sun they're driving off into the sunset in a stolen space space cruiser with like cans tied onto the back and stuff yeah <laughs> yeah but that's so you know there's, they, they sort of wonder idly if Inskip will be pissed. They, uh, it, you know, it's assumed he will be. 
Uh, but, if, you know, they'll, they'll just let him go because it doesn't really matter. And, you know, if they need them for a job, he'll just rearrest them. Good times. Um, <laughs> easy peasy, lemon yeah. squeezy. Yeah, Jim DeGriz and a- Jim and Angelina DeGriz will return uh, in June of 1980 in the Stainless Steel Rat Saves the World. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, so pretty soon. I really like this. Yeah, so, you know, a couple months. Be right back with you. Nice. Hey, speaking of things you really don't like, Fox. <laughs> oh. Non-thrills, covers, nerve center, fan art, Captain Klepp, and Warriors of the Future. <laughs> yeah. So, we do these quick. Uh, Prog 150, another fun stainless steel rat cover by Carlos Escara. Um, we haven't d- t- talked about it, but Carlos has done a ton of covers recently. Um Tharg teases a new pullout poster in the middle of the prog starting in 152. Oh, yeah. And a reader asks why the non-Earth prices never change for the comic, and the answer is that there's no inflation on other planets. Fix your monetary policy, Earth. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Captain Klepp jumps off a high dive, and as he falls, he travels to the year 80,000. Uh, while wreaking accidental havoc, Klepp resolves to buy a copy of 2000 AD, which will have now have four times the thrill power. And of course, shout out to distant future descendants of Conrad and Fox, presumably still doing this podcast in the year 8000. Um, well, we are locked in for quite a while. And, and, and you know. Anyhow, Klepp is arrested by Robocops <laughs> and taken to a professor who says he's marooned here in the future. Then, uh, Besides that, we have some more alien contest winners. There's some weird ones this week. My favorite is definitely the uh, mutant earthworm from Dungavel by Fergus Walsh of Hamilton. What? Wait, yeah. Jawdragger, the ballsack monster, is clearly dubbass. <sighs> That's fair on your part, I guess. Later in the prog, <laughs> uh, Mechquake hosts a puzzle corner where you answer trivia questions to create this spiral crossword thing. Question one is, what's Mech's, Mechquake's favorite work? Answer, of course, big jobs. Big jobs. <laughs> <laughs> we meet a uh, megastar huntsman in our Warriors of the Future uh, feature, which is this dude. He's got a long rifle and a whole bunch of flying murder drones, basically. I'm all right with this dude, but, like, they're called sniffer drones, and I don't... <laughs> that's weird. Yeah. Prog 151, another sweet action cover for Stainless Steel Rat by Ascara. And, like, honestly, like, Stainless Steel Rat has run for 12 progs, and six of the covers of those progs have featured Jim DeGriz. It's crazy. <laughs> that's because uh, it's awesome. I mean, it's definitely awesome. It's just an interesting, like, spread. Like, there was never a Wolfie Smith cover. They never did, like, a Time Quake cover or anything like that. I don't know. Um, Why would you ever do Wolfie Smith cover? <laughs> I'm just I just think it's interesting I, and I wonder if it's related to like them doing an adaption of the books they had to like sort of give some like uh, some publicity to it or something like that I don't know just inside baseball stuff I guess why not yeah Tharg says that in in honor of the holiday Valad Midaxe it's time to inject 2000 AD with extra thrill power which we'll see in next week's progs or in sorry in the progs later this week <laughs> The letter pages is all corrections and jokes about like what absolute what temperature absolute zero is, whether Klaatu was the alien or the robot in the day the Earth stood still. He was the alien, and then some terrible alien jokes like, uh, "Have you heard the one about the Martian who opened his car door to let out the clutch?" No. Ah, um, uh, 
the final, <laughs> yeah, exactly. The final warrior of the future um, is a rocket trooper who's an armored guy who flies through the upper atmosphere carrying out infiltration missions and such. He is wearing some weird-looking shit. That's all yeah, I gotta say. It's true. The future professor tries to scan Klepp's brain to see how he time-traveled, but his brain is too tiny slash non-existent to scan. Instead, they just shoot him into space so he can try another high dive. But oh no, he misses the Earth! Great. Um, Metquake has another puzzle corner. This one's most, like, matching heroes with villains of sci-fi stuff and space terms with definitions. Hmm... Yeah, Prague 152, it's a montage cover featuring Fiends from the Eastern Front, Robo Hunter, and this new mid-Prague poster, Dreads Hall of Heroes. There's no nerve center this week. Instead, Tharg just kind of blags all the new stuff and the son of Satanist storyline. So uh, Captain Klepp misses the Earth and falls far into the past, eventually landing in dinosaur times. Lots of dinosaur <sighs> stuff going on here. He's dumber than a dinosaur. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, we learned that actually the dinos are super smart, but if that's true, what's killed them? The answer is obviously Captain Clap. <laughs> um, <laughs> God. This week also starts the uh, Dreads Hall of Heroes uh, Heroes poster, which is made of basically four center spreads of the comic, so it's actually like pretty huge if you think about it, and uh, depicts Judge Dredd taking down an umpty candy robbery in a huge center image, uh, art by Ron Smith, and then surrounded by images and like blurbs of various two th- uh, top-level 2080 heroes. So this week... Specifically we, the Harlem Heroes! Yeah, this week it's the bottom left corner, and we get the Harlem Heroes and Blackhawk. At the end of the Prague... It's true. <laughs> At the end of the prog is the first in a series of articles about 2080's top 10 sci-fi movies. They're listed in chronological order, FYI. Starting this week with Fritz Lang's classic Metropolis, which is an excellent choice. Yeah, if you have not seen it, I really fucking suggest that to anybody. Metropolis is really good. Yeah, just There's that- also a, a newer one done that's, uh, I think, actually an anime, which was also very good. Nice. Prog 153, Ron Smith gives us a pretty fun uh, uh, Blood of Satanus cover. Yeah! Yeah. (laughs) In the nerve center, there's complaints that there weren't enough entrants into the Star Trek contest for Prog 140, and there's promises of a better contest in Prog 156. There's also a mini-contest to have kids name Tharg's homeworld, which is basically just sort of outsourcing of doing this work. Because, like, they give hints, but the hints are, like, it starts with a Q and it's five to ten letters long. Like, do your own work, writers, guys. Wow. <laughs> Jesus. Also, the Incredible Tharg is awesome. Anytime Tharg is drawn as a strong man, I'm, I'm into it. <laughs> yeah, I should say in a lot of the nerve centers, they like the, there's a picture of Tharg sort of doing his editorial, and it's usually like, like a fan art picture of him, including the Incredible Tharg this week. Yeah, so the dinosaurs show Klepp their rocket ship, which they're preparing to use to leave Earth. But, uh, oh, so it looks like they just left instead of all dying. That's nice. Until like a dinosaur <laughs> with headphones accidentally sits on top of tiny Captain Klepp and his scream of pain is so loud and powerful and just the right frequency that it instantly kills all the dinosaurs on Earth. Jesus Christ. (laughs) (laughs) So once again, uh, 2000 AD commits genocide against an entire race. (laughs) Always. This is like a bunch of races because it's a bunch of different dinosaurs. (laughs) That's fair. Doing Dan Dare proud. (laughs) It's true. 
With all the dinosaurs murdered, Klepp is now trapped in the past. So I guess he's just got to wait like 50 million years to uh, re- rejoin his life in 1980. Uh, this week we get the, the bottom right Hall of Heroes posters with ABC Warriors and Robo Hunter. Uh, like the cover of this prog says that it's a hologram poster, but I don't see any holograms. So if there's anybody out there that can explain to me what they mean by this, please let me know. Maybe um, it doesn't actually exist. I mean, I you know, I feel like they say it a lot. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, the uh, the next film in our list is uh, the thi- the is Things to Come from the year 1935. It's written by H.G. Wells, and it's a generation-spanning story of the future of the human race. Um, it's pretty well known both as a special effects, like early special effects masterpiece, and for predicting things that actually have come to pass, such as the ability of planes to cross the Channel and bomb England. Oh, I haven't seen this movie. I haven't either, but I've just, you know, I hear good things. That's what I'm trying to say. Uh, All right. <laughs> but hey, speaking of um, things that took place in the past, Fox. Oh, I see what you did there. Uh huh. Thrill for Time Quake. How so, do you? Oh yeah, credit card. I was just gonna say, <laughs> yeah, script robot for Time Quake is Chris Lauder as, as Jack Adrian. Art robots Jesus Redondo. Lettering robot is the Aldrich Mark II lettering bots. How do you get out of a null time spiral? I don't know, and neither does this comic. Let's hand wave until we get back to the office. You you just kind of do it. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just that is literally how they escape the null time spiral. Like it's you, just like, well, what if I do this thing? And it's like, how did you do this? And he's like, it, it doesn't matter. We did it. Yeah, let's, let's kick a guy in the face. We're out. That's what matters. <laughs> so, <laughs> I guess he moves like they're in this big tunnel of just like when you you know when you stand with two full length mirrors on either side of you. Um, yeah, and the, everybody's moving in sequence, so he like breaks the sequence. I don't, I don't know, but um. Whatever. They, they, they burst out of the time trap, guns blazing, as as uh, Jack Blocker and Susie Cho, the time control agents, do so. Um, the the evil uh, bootleg time travel agent, Mother Eternal, activates her um, time travel thing and disappears. Can't stop to chatter, possums. Bye! Bye! <laughs> um, <laughs> as a couple goons come out, and they have to take them out, and... Uh, Susie and James take them out quite handily. As they sort of track Mother Eternal's path, a couple more tourists show up. These ones covered in arrows. They wanted to see Julius Caesar land in England, but instead they showed up on the French side of the Battle of Agincourt, and they got arrowed to death. (laughs) That's just what happens when you go to a shady time person. It's true. Um, So... Blocker and Cho track Mother Eternal and warp back together, but instead find themselves 400 years ago on a battlefield on the wrong side of the lances of the Charge of the Light Brigade. Next frog, cool fucking time shit. That's what I would have called it. <laughs> cannon to the right of them, cannon to the left of them, cannon in front of them, volleyed and thundered. Um, as the Light Brigade... Charges to their doom, Blocker and Cho use their time straps to travel back in time, like, you know, five, ten minutes, to catch Mother Eternal before she ditches them there at the Light Brigade. Which, like, seriously, Chick, like, you're messing with time cops. 
they, they, they know what they're doing with their time travel stuff. Um, yeah. they, they force her to return to the 23rd century as Susie takes a bullet to the shoulder from the Russians. Oh, snap. Mm-hmm. Back in the 23rd century, Mother Eternal pulls a gun on Blocker and prepares to shoot him when another version of Mother Eternal shows up. Darling! Um, <laughs> the Mother Eternal with a gun is distracted and Blocker realizes that it's his, his, his partner, Susie Cho, who can apparently uh, shape change, I guess? I don't know. Anyhow. <laughs> hey, that's cool and also attractive and also very, you know, it's useful. Mm-hmm. So Mother Eternal gets knocked out, and this triggers the self-destruct bomb in her office. Um, oh, God. Cho and Blocker walk, uh, warp away, assuming that Mother Eternal was killed in the blast. Instead, she manages to activate her time travel stuff just before it, but land, it ends up being uh, stuck in prehistoric London, unable to leave because her time machinery has been destroyed. So she swears revenge, but I don't really see how that's going to happen. Ever. I mean, in theory, I'm sure she'd find a way if this uh, story continued, but it isn't. That's it for Time Quake, which is kind of a bummer because I thought this was a pretty fun story. This uh, this was better than most of the time shenanigans that we've seen outside of Fleshbook 1 mm-hmm. and uh, better than Wolfie Smith and better than God uh, Rick Random, that horrible Rick Random story. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'd say uh, it's... It's definitely, like, one of, if not the best, like, sort of four to eight prog stories that we've seen so far. Or four, four to twelve. Yeah. yeah, four to eights, I'd say. Like, it actually felt like Time Cops, you know? Totally, yeah, it definitely. Time Cop shit. Yeah, this is sort of, you know, if we ever kind of find a way to do the old, um, to do the old Star-Lords in, in, mm. in the course of this podcast, you know... Like, the idea of there being a comic that's got Robuster's Strontium Dog and this makes that feel like a very strong comic to me. Uh. Yeah. Like, <laughs> quite quite honestly, it's a, it's a beast that, that I'd be willing to tackle. Mm-hmm. Hey, speaking of beasts you probably want to stay away from, Fox. Uh. <laughs> Thrill 5, Blackhawk. Let's go to the weird world of the Silver Sun again. Always, nah, I don't know. So, script robots Al- Alan Gaunt writing, or Al- Alan Grant writing as Alvin Gaunt. Um, art robots Massimo Bellardinelli. Lettering robot is Pete Knight. So, uh, the assembled army of Batman, Zog, and Ursa. Um, actually, I, I, I guess I forgot to say that Batak uh, flew off on his own in Prague 148. Which we forget. Yeah, yeah, so that happened, but whatever. Um, they all march on the great beast, who is of course the ruler of this world within the the, the black hole. While Blackhawk is doing a recon, the forces of the beast, led by that Jin we met right as the team arrived here, attack the army. Blackhawk intervenes with his murder unicorn and the blood blade, which steals the life force of those who it cuts. Um, with Zog and Ursa helping the BBs fight the attacking army, uh, the Jin guy is once again smashed in the head by the club of Zog. He's got no defenses for that. Uh. So what do you do? You suck out his life. Yep. So Blackhawk basically assaults the castle of the beast. He bursts through the door with his uh, murder unicorn. Yeah, he threatens the beast, but we learn the truth that the uh, that this was a trap all along. The beast controls the blood blade, and where once it sucked the life out of Blackhawk's enemies, now it's sucking Blackhawk's life, and he's all grody looking. Yeah, great. Like whatever. Flash <laughs> to Zog and fucking 
Ursa doing some cool shit. Yeah, so Zog and Ursa triumph over the armies of the Great Beast, and they go to check out Blackhawk. They find him being completely drained by the Great Great Beast, so our guys attack the monster, and between Zog, Zogging the Beast with his club, and Ursa <laughs> throwing his axe at it, Blackhawk manages to break from the monster's control and fight back. I.e., without Zog and Ursa, he would have totally been hosed. Absolutely. So, he stabs the beast with his own sword, which destroys it! Uh, As the beast dies, Blackhawk demands the location of the soul sucker to get his soul back, but the great beast explains that actually, hey, like, he's like an evil guy and doesn't have an actual code of honor. He was lying about all that stuff. But, like an evil guy, has to do a magic spell riddle by the bones of things that rot in hell, dark forces hear my final spell, take the soul sucker and hide it well. And uh, I guess that's just what happens. Yeah, it just warps the soul sucker to the parts unknown, basically. Great. <laughs> um, so, yeah. <laughs> so that's the great, what happened. Yeah, the great beast is dead, let's celebrate, unless you're hanging out with Blackhawk and he's a total stick in the mud, like, oh, the endless all-powerful evil that enslaved this world is just, is defeated, but we better not make a big deal about it, even though we just beat him, like, five minutes ago. Um, Dude, like, everyone's partying, and, and Ursa's, like, like, strips out all of the brains and muscle from the dude's head after he cut it off. And from the beast's head, to yeah. Him. It's pretty funny. And then gets clubbed in the face by Zog. Then he's going to punch Zog, and Blackhawk's like, stop dicking around. And Ursa says, the thing that I love the most, all you do is fucking moan and groan. <laughs> like, stop being a baby. I love how Ursa says this, like, while his hands are on his hips and stuff like that. He's like... Yeah yelling at Blackhawk about it. It's it's really good. Um, But so, Blackhawk kind of admits that he's being a spoiled sport because he lost his soul and is just being a big baby about it. He, um... He's going to go head out to find his soul, but the weather's terrible, probably because of the death of the beast. Blackhawk... It's all rainy and poopy outside. And, like, super windy. Blackhawk decides to head out anyway on the Kerr Beast, the murder unicorn, leaving Ursa and Zog behind, which is a terrible decision. Boo! Um, When does that ever help him, ever? mm -mm, Never. Out in the driving winds, the Kerr Beast struggles mightily until it falls into a trap, a trap set by those no-good space pirates that caused us to be trapped here in the first place. Oh, weird. Get him, bully boys. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, Blackhawk has been taken captive by those space pirates, including the uh, Two-Face-inspired pirate leader Captain Psycho, who demands to know where the soul sucker is, but Blackhawk doesn't know, and so the whipping commences. Uh, Hearing his screams, the Kerr Beast runs to save Blackhawk. Blackhawk gets free and threatens Psycho, who tells his tale. Once he was a regular dude, but he was enslaved by the soul sucker, just like Blackhawk. uh, Oh look, it's the same thing. Yeah, if you don't have a soul, you begin to love the sound of pain and evil, and eventually that warps you into an ugly evil dude. Psycho's halfway there, and Blackhawk is on the path as well. The only remedy is to find the beast, which has now been hidden away by the great beast's dying curse, and get their souls back. Um, so what do you do? I guess run into a mushroom forest. Yeah. As this is going on, the Kerr Beast has killed all of Psycho's buddies. And so now awesome. Psycho and Blackhawk basically team up, uh, searching for their souls. They ride into a fungus forest that the Kerr Beast won't get into. So they go out on foot, which seems like a terrible idea. But, I mean, what do I know? I don't have a soul. I mean, I, I have a soul. I don't have these problems. Um, yeah. 
as they go. Next episode, Morituri to Zog, which sounds like the death of Zog, and if so, I'm going to be super pissed. Me too, big time. Yeah. yeah. So. Once again, the supporting cast is more interesting than Blackhawk himself. Uh, it's so true. Like, he's really the, uh, this is like the How I Met Your Mother of 2000 AD thrills, if you ask me. Boom! Oh my god! Bam, 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 bam! That was amazing. I mean, I don't want to get into it. <laughs> no, that was that was the most apt comparison ever made. Awesome. Oh, I care. I care so deeply about the things you just said. <laughs> hey, speaking of things that are awesome, uh, Thrill Six Robo Hunter. He's back. He's, He's back. Poor. He needs money. It's true. It's Robo Hunter. <laughs> Script robot for Robo Hunters, Alan Wagner writing as TB Grover, art robots Ian Gibson, lettering robot Steve Potter. So, Sam Slade is back in action. Uh, the story starts with Sam taking down some cannibal droids that are stealing parts from a snooty butler droid. Um, after getting paid for taking down these robots and there being a green stamps joke that even I barely get because I'm like a young man in my mid-30s at this point. Um, Sam, yeah, what the F? Sam returns home to relax only to be interrupted by a huge protest. A, uh, of robots. Yeah, a big mass of robots from the amalgamated android union comes in on strike protesting Sam's job as a robo-hunter and general lifestyle While and stuff. trying to put on his pants. Yeah. <laughs> Sam threatens them, that, but is warned that if he does anything, the entire city will shut down in solidarity. So I guess this is just as normal now. <laughs> oh, God. As this is happening, Sam gets a call from a city councilor with a case, and then another robot, Hoagie, asks Sam about an ad for an assistant that he put in the newspaper. Must be keen! But, okay, so here's the deal, Fox. <laughs> when I say What's up? it's for an ad that he put in the newspaper, it's actually an ad that Hoagie put in the newspaper saying that Sam, <laughs> Sam Slade needed an assistant, which I think is a pretty smooth move, to be honest. That's that's pretty on point. I mean, like, look, if, if you want to get a job, I guess force somebody to give it to you by definitely putting in that ad yourself. Absolutely. Um so, Sam's going pretty crazy at home, so he heads out to meet with can with Councillor Armit, who's the city councillor guy, at a quiet restaurant. The councillor reveals a terrifying fact: he's a robot with a removable faceplate and everything. But he wasn't aware of this, and so we have the case. Figure out how, where, and why this councillor was turned into a robot man. Okay. Well, that sounds kind of interesting. Yeah. So, after some quick freaking out, we see the seam the seamlessness of the counselor's robot job, and he explains that he had a blood test six months ago, so the swap must have happened fairly recently. Uh, Sam's going to figure out how, he, how what, what the deal is, but inside the counselor's head, we see an elimination order set out. Operation Day of the Droids is in danger! A, a Vendo robot springs into action as Slade goes to pick up his gear and help Counselor Armit. At his place, the striking robots are gone, but now there's just a bunch of dudes answering Hoagie's assistant <laughs> ad. <laughs> He's really just not getting any breaks. Yeah. Slice, um, what, I can't confirm this, but man, it would be so funny if just all these dudes were members of the 2080 staff. Um, just because right? Gibson draws a whole bunch of like fellas just sort of standing around here, and they're very varied and stuff. That just makes me wonder if they did. That 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 would be my dream. Um, <laughs> oh, 
But um, so Sam kicks all those guys out, as well as Hoagie, who's like, "Hey, I told them like that the job had been filled by me." Yep, I'm Hoagie, your new assistant. And Sam's like, "Get out of here!" <laughs> I don't want that. God, I miss robot. <laughs> um. So as Sam drives to Armit's place, the Vendo robot is just arriving. It releases an army of teeny mac, teeny mechs, which are basically just tiny Pac-Man bots. They're super cute until they grow nose guns and blow you apart while laughing all the way. Yeah, it's super weird how this <laughs> yeah. ends. Now they're headed for Armit's front door. Next episode, Robo Thrill Increases. Reserve your prog now. I mean, uh, Rebel Thrill increases. Reserve your prog now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so something to keep an eye out for in these early issues of um, of Sam's of uh, Robo Hunter Fox is that mm. once these um, once these issues were drawn, a uh, an order came down from IPC Publishing that um, they didn't want to have smoking appear in the. Um, in the in the in in the comics anymore? Oh yeah, the weird Superman fucking ads that are everywhere now. Yeah, definitely, we're seeing a lot of these like anti-smoking Superman ads in the in, in, in the in the back of Progs. But something to keep an yeah. eye out for is that they had already drawn a couple issues of Sam Slade with him smoking a cigar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so you can kind of see sometimes he'll hold his hand in a cigar way, and they've widened it out and maybe added something. And like there's one thing where he's got a, a fork. Where like Sam's holding a fork in uh, Prague One Fifty Three, but his fingers are huh. in such a way that you could definitely have a cigar in there if you wanted to. Interesting. Later, this leads to the creation of one of the greatest hero- of, of one of the greatest characters in two thousand A.D. But I don't want to spoil it too much for you, Fox. Okay. <laughs> Instead, speaking of new characters and not spoiling, let's go Ooh. to. Thrill 7, Fiends of the Eastern Front. I liked the not-spoiling joke. That was good. I do my best. Um, so script robots, Gary Finley Day. Art robots, Carlos Escara. Lettering robots, Jack Potter for the Fiends. I just right. want you to know this is fucking awesome. It's cool, dude. Dateline 1980. While excavating a building in West Berlin, Mer- uh, workmen find a strange discovery through a black tunnel, they find a skeleton in a German uniform sitting in a chair in a room that's bare except for ten silhouettes on the wall, numbered one through ten. Uh, the silhouettes are obviously of vampires with, like, capes and popped collars and stuff. <laughs> the, the skeleton holds a book. It's a diary. The Diary of Hans Schmidt. Yeah, it starts in 1941 as he heads out to the, to the Eastern Front as part of Operation Barbarossa. Um... He arrives at the front. He he's a German soldier. I should mention, like you know, yeah. yeah. We don't have to get too far into the fact that sort of like our hero is this Nazi guy. It's not a big deal. I don't <laughs> think in the course of the comics, um, it's its mo- own thing. You know, mo- just yeah, let live with this one. Mostly, it just makes sort of his inevitable death and stuff kind of low calorie because it's like, oh, you know, these guys were Germans anyway. You know, World War Two <laughs> Germans. Um, <laughs> so um, impressive snake. So as um, Schmidt arrives, he sees the uniforms of other countries that are German allies fighting alongside the Germans. So just you know, keep, put, put put a pin in that for later, Fox. There are uh, allies here on the here on the Russian front. 
Um, yeah, they look a little weird, but hey, whatever. Exactly. Um, at the front, Schmidt volunteers to scout the Russian lines. He wants a medal and wants to go in as soon as possible because he's a, he's a dumb kid and doesn't understand how these things work. Uh, <laughs> uh. While crawling along the barbed wire, Schmidt and his sergeant are spotted by a Russian scout. The sergeant... Oh, God, Ivan. Yeah, the sergeant and the scout take each other out, like basically just stab each other to death silently. But in the action, Smith is stuck in barbed wire as a Russian patrol approaches. He's a sitting duck. This is not great. (laughs) Or at least he would be a sitting duck until mysterious figures appear behind the Russians and take them out. They're skilled night fighters. Oh my God, it's Captain Costanta. They advance on Schmidt and introduce themselves. They are Romanians and they're allies of the Germans. They Mm -hmm. free Schmidt and he returns to the German lines all freaked out. They are definitely not vampires. As battle begins, the Germans come upon the bodies of the dead Russian patrol and find them all drained of blood. Later, (laughs) Schmidt Schmidt comes across a truck bearing the symbol of the the Romanians. Romanian troops on the side, which is a bat and a triangle, of course. Looking inside the truck, he sees ten coffins stacked on top of each other. And I'll say to his credit, Schmidt at this point is in fact pretty sure that these guys are vampires, even if that sounds crazy. So maybe they're vampires. He's more like, well, I didn't know there actually were vampires, as opposed to like, oh, there sure seem to be a lot of bloodless bodies around here. Like, I don't know what that could be, you know? I'm, yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm glad that he's got the common sense character approach, but they're, they're certainly vampires. I mean, they wear like Dracula capes over their uniforms, yeah. you know? It's, it's pretty intense. So it's raining as the German column marches on. Uh, the truck of the Romanian division driving with them. Suddenly, they're attacked by Cossack horsemen. The rain oh and yeah, the rain and mud has jammed the German guns, and things look bad until the horses get near the Romanian truck, when they all spook and throw their riders. Oh God, this is not great. <laughs> yeah, the Romanian dri- the Romanian driver claims all the swords, all the sabers of the fallen Cossacks as the right of the victors, and the Romanian squad are just generally real dicks about it in terms of claiming trophies and stuff. They're like, those are ours. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah, you saw what happened to those horses. Don't put two and two together. Um, that night, <laughs> the column comes under attack from Russian tanks, but the Romanians, sword in hand, run out on foot to take them on. A mysterious smoke fills the battlefield, and soon the tanks go quiet. The Romanians claim that they all just snuck up on the tanks and stabbed everybody inside of them to death. And Which, indeed, <laughs> indeed, every Russian soldier in the tanks has had their... Their throat, their throat cut, or you know, as their throat, their throats have been ripped out by vampire teeth, I guess. Um, <laughs> but don't think too much about it. Mm-mm. Oh, weird. Are those uh, Russians putting up some weird traps up there? Let's shoot them. Oh yeah. no, it's just crucifix and garlic. Yeah, he investigates. Yeah, basically, they think they're booby traps. But yeah, it's just a bunch of like things covering the escape of these Cossacks, and it's just vampire junk. It's just garlic and crosses and stuff. So like, the maybe wor- these the- guys are vampires. Yeah, the words uh, Javoli, which means fiend or devil written everywhere. Uh, The Russians know the truth about our vampire allies. (laughs) (laughs) Next episode, Chateau of Horror. I'm into it. 
this this fiends of the eastern front one is kind of an interesting story i feel like it might have actually been for a different magazine um i think when you say interesting you mean awesome <laughs> okay yeah that's fair um <laughs> mostly because like these guys like gary finley day and carlos Escara and stuff are also actively working on like world war ii comics and stuff and interesting there's a couple points in the art here where where Escara signs his name on the art which he usually doesn't do in 2000 ad stuff because they have the credit card and like for instance Ooh. in the first issue of fiends there's no credit card the, the, the credit card isn't until like the third page or something like that like the the, the page isn't formatted in a normal 2000 ad way that makes me think that maybe Ooh. this was written for like a horror series in like a in like battle action or one of the other world war you know war comics that ipc is coming out and got that's pretty cool repurposed because they needed some pages for you know fe- you know fees of the eastern front and just fit better in 2080 or something yeah it's just what you do yeah. vampires man but it's fun man this vampire in world war like like these like uh, vampires in world war ii are really neat <laughs> like, i fucking love it you, this is great you definitely don't expect it you know <laughs> i mean they threw their hat in with the wrong people but blood's blood i mean we'll see how it goes you know um, yeah. I could see how, n- no matter what they were, if you're sort of a small Eastern European country, you have to throw in with the, with with Germany when it starts getting belligerent, until you can find something else to do, basically. <laughs> Fair. So hey, Fox, we're Take we're, Conrad. we're done with the thrills for this month. Talking about them, what's your what Go thrill forward. had the most thrill power for you this month? All right, so it is a little bit of a toss up for me. Mm-hmm. And not to say that one was inherently better than the other or anything. These were actually, I really fucking loved all of them. So this is going to be a rough month for me. Yeah, this was However, a good month. Judge Dredd and uh, Fiends of the Eastern Front are very clear victors for me in this uh, regard. Uh, awesome. I, I, It's like spooky fucking progs this week. And uh, yeah, there's a man, lot of oh horror man. stuff for like it being February. It's it's kind of funny. This is like what I think of, of as like an October uh, month or something like that. Just with all of the sure like ghosts and were tyrannosaurs and things like that. <laughs> I just I I really liked it a lot. Um, Judge Death is really cool. Actually, I'm sad about Anderson, but it, it's like more character to the series, and I don't know. It's just great. Yeah. Awesome. And then, so what thrill had the least thrill power for you this month? Uh, it's kind of rough. I mean, you know, just just because I I can't get behind the main character and because it's such a good month of progs this month, I'm going to say Blackhawk. Like, now we, we got, what, two, maybe three-ish progs of having uh, Ursa and Zog but, and the BBs, but now mm-hmm. it's just, like, done fucking blackhawk as a character is just so shitty and boring and every time ursa's up with some mac mac i'm like dude i want to i want some mac mac Mac." that's fair (laughs) it's ridiculous anyway man what is your top um yeah so maximum thrill powers is is judge dread this month absolutely um like judge death all the judge you know judge death and judge anderson this is like super duper like gold-plated classic stuff son of satan this is really fun too just yeah like you said like as like a horror comic and this like sort of you know where tyrannosaur that's just just such a crazy concept and stuff yes we're basically like i don't know like i think the first 
I'm sort of putting in like cursed earth protocols here where right now um, like the first three quarters of 1980 uh, top thrill is Judge Dredd's to lose for me. Um, That's fair. But right. um, I'm like, looking forward to it then. Ju- ju- just between this stuff and what's starting next month. Um, then then um, for bottom thrill, like I think we had sort of Right now, recently, it's just been a tie between, um, or it's like like the two ones, the main ones have been Blackhawk and uh, the VCs have been sort of both mm-hmm. sort, sort of on the bottom. Um, VCs really picked it up this month, just like the terror and the destruction of the uh, yeah. of the attack on Mars and stuff, really made for some really amazing like art and storytelling and stuff, and just some real like pathos that is unusual in these sorts of comics. I think. Yeah, God fucking dark. Yeah. Um, whereas, man, I I just you know like like I said like yeah, it's rough that so far Blackhawk is re- like the supporting cast has really been what I've loved about Blackhawk. Like I'm way more of an Ursa fan than I am a a, a, a Blackhawk fan. <laughs> Dude, let's drink some Mac Mac and fucking chop chop, bro. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and so this move of him leaving the characters that I like for to team up with Captain Psycho, who I don't really like, and then the two of them to have sort of sullen, oh, I have no soul adventures, just seems like a terrible decision. <laughs> It sounds lame and boring and stupid and dumb. Yeah, so I'm putting yeah. So Judge Red top, Blackhawk bottom. I mean Blackhawk's still solidarity. Yeah, Blackhawk's still pretty good. Yeah. Just in terms yeah, of yeah. like, I mean, like I don't hate it. Like there's been stuff. You know, again, I say this a lot, but there's been stuff that have really just been like, yes, this is the bottom. This is terrible. Like if yeah. if if Captain nope. Klepp was in contention, it would be the bottom. But I don't want to put it in there. Not easily. Um, just so we can have a discussion about it, you know. But <laughs> yeah, but you know, don't don't beat a man for not having legs, you know. Exactly. So I think we got that sorted out. I hope everybody enjoyed the show. You can always find Space Spinner 2000 on iTunes, Stitcher, the Google Play Store, or our podcast site at Cradleline.com. Feel free to contact us at spacespinner2000 at gmail.com or on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages. On Twitter, we're at SpaceSpinner2K for everything else. Look up Space Spinner 2000. We should be there. Come back next time as the quest for the Judge Child begins. The yes! Me- yeah, the mech assassins strike. The geek war comes to Earth. The German vampire alliance shifts. And Blackhawk meets the uh, Dreamweaver. And then things get weird. <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah, second podcast where there's been a character named Dreamweaver, Weaver, neither of which have had anything to do with the song. <laughs> Until next time, I'm Conrad, he's Fox, and we are Space Spinner 2000. Splendug Brithrig! Everyone considered him the coward of the county.